You are listening to Life Improvement Radio on the Helium Radio Network. You are listening to the What's Your Excuse Network. You are listening to High Energy FM, a good place to be yourself. And you are listening to Intervision FM, K-I-N-V-D-B. And of course, you are listening to 98.6 The Mix, KKMX International the best variety on the internet. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another exciting episode of Aaron's Opinion, the podcast for blind people, where we speak about critical issues in the blindness community from all over the world. And of course, my name is Aaron Richmond. Welcome back. To get in touch with Aaron's Opinion, there are many ways you can do that, provided that your compliments are and feedback are productive and complimentary and constructive, that is all really good. So, one two four zero six eight one nine eight six nine. that's the number to join the WhatsApp group or uh, to send a text message or leave a voicemail. one two four zero six eight one nine eight six nine. At Aaron's Opinion on Instagram, at A-A-R-O-N-S-O-P-I-N-I-O-N, that's on Instagram, Aaron's Opinion 6 at gmail.com, A-A-R-O-N-S-O-P-I-N-I-O-N 6 at gmail.com. Come. Follow on Twitter. Follow on Facebook. Comment below on YouTube. Like, by the way, don't forget guys, like, uh, share, subscribe, all of that stuff that really helps the next person to hear the positive message here on Aaron's Opinion. Today's guest is very special. They are a very special couple in the blindness community and in the world. Their podcast is heard in many, many, many countries all over the world, just like Aaron's opinion. Except luckily, and I'm very appreciative of this, luckily, they're doing even better than us. You know, oftentimes in sports or in podcasting or whatever, what have you, we say that a record is not meant to be proud of and kept, it's meant to be broken. And our guest today has definitely broken a lot of records and has truly helped a tremendously high number of blind people. So we are very, very thankful. So who are these people? Well, I'll give you one more clue. They are married. They are both retired scientists. And if you are not very, very excited to be listening to the Torpies from Eyes on Success, Peter and Nancy Torpy, join us now. We are so honored uh, to have them on the podcast today. You know, it was just one of these things where I had always wanted to talk to the Torpies. Um, and it's such an, such an honor and privilege to get to speak to both of these two incredible people. Um, I, I was listening, as I always say, I was listening to podcasts in the blindness community. And you know, and I had heard of this podcast called Eyes on Success. And I had actually, I didn't say this, but I had gotten in touch with you guys a long time ago. And you didn't, at the time, you didn't know who I was at the time. So we weren't able to really connect. But I think for whatever reason, I think as we say, the stars aligned. And I reached out to you on YouTube and they have a YouTube channel and and all of that. And um, it's just, it's just was a tremendous honor to get to speak to them uh, uh, today. They spoke about their lives as scientists. They spoke about getting a job as a blind person. 
They spoke about life. They spoke about radio. They spoke about podcasts. They spoke about interviews. They spoke about some really, really funny things happen, happened when they would go into schools and teach science. Something really funny happened one time when the Torpies went to an elementary school many years ago and taught science. But of course, it would be far more exciting for you to hear directly from them. So both of these people did um, an incredible interview, a very cute, a very serious, a very unusual interview. Um, They both have really beautiful flavor, really unusual flavor in the podcast community. And we are so grateful to have them here in the Aaron's Opinion family. So why don't we just get into this one today by saying the following episode of Aaron's Opinion was recorded on the 21st of August at 2000 New York. Um, and the, the Torpies were actually in Colorado, apparently, in the mountain time. Not that that really makes any difference. Uh, but anyway, though, uh, you could be listening to Aaron's opinion really anywhere. But of course, you could be listening on Life Improvement Radio, uh, on the Helium Radio Network, on the What's Your Excuse Network, on High Energy FM, on Intervision FM, on KINVDB, and on 98.6 The Mix, KKMX International, the best variety on the internet. And hopefully, God willing, you'll be listening to Aaron's opinion in many other formats and places around the galaxy. The Torpies also gave a lot of great information about analytics and podcasting and just the whole, just just sit back. It's just going to be a fascinating conversation. My name's Aaron Richmond. You're listening to the Aaron's Opinion Podcast. And now let's get into the episode today. And definitely, let's create a very cute title for this one. Let's call this one, Time to Talk to the Torpies. Hello, I'm Philip Anderson from Against the Odds, the human interest by a monthly motivational podcast which celebrates the lives of those who have conquered in the face of adversity. For more ways to listen and to request to be a guest, visit www.againsttheoddspodcast.com. Welcome back, everybody, to Aaron's Opinion. Uh, Tonight, we are extremely pleased and honored to be joined by Eyes on Success, Peter and Nancy Torpy. First of all, I just want you to know how appreciative I am uh, that you've taken the time to come to Aaron's Opinion today. Much appreciated. I've known of your podcast and show for years, for quite a while. Um, Never really gotten around to reaching out to you with all the work and podcasting that I do and uh, so thank you for being here. It's going to be a really fascinating conversation. I'll start the episode like I start all of them by saying, who is Peter and Nancy Torpy? And you guys may address it and answer it in any way you want. And then from that question, you can talk about your lives, all of the different interesting things you, you've done, and then work towards Eyes on Success. And I'll help you out along the way. So go ahead. Well, I guess, first of all, we are both married, as many of our listeners 
No, I, 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 each I, other. I, I guessed. I guessed that considering with the same last name. I guessed. Yes. <laughs> We've been married for almost 40 years. We have two children and two grandchildren. And we're retired scientists, as many of our listeners also know. I have been partially blind since birth and fully blind since maybe the mid-80s or so. And Nancy is fully sighted. <clears throat> but I have a lot of experience hanging around with a blind guy. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's really that's really, really fascinating. So I didn't specifically know that you were scientists. I didn't ex I did not anticipate that I would ask this question. Um, what area of science did you work in? And I, I just have to ask, what do you think of all these great new discoveries from NASA and the James Webb Telescope? What do you think about all of that? Oh, well, let's answer the last question first. Um, all of these ex exciting discoveries from the James Webb Telescope are really, really cool. Um, and in a couple of days, we'll be interviewing the people who created the alt text description of those Excellent. images so that people who rely on screen readers can get the full meaning of those photographs. Right. So good. So good. But anyway, so you asked us what kind of scientists we were. Pete's PhD is in fluid mechanics and mine is in um, semiconductor physics, but we both spent our entire careers working at Xerox Corporation where we were working on next generation printers and copiers. It's really important. <clears throat> it was that... a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. It was a lot of fun. I tell people that when I was a kid, I used to play all these mathematical games and puzzles and I'm sure Nancy did too. Oh, I did. And then someone paid us to do that. So it almost wasn't like work. It was just a lot of fun. They gave us all the tools to have fun with science and learn new things and keep learning as we were working. Well, that's that's really important. That's really good. Now, in my case, I have glaucoma and a congenital heart defect. But um, Pete, what about you? You, you said that you've been blind uh, your your whole life, I think, for a significant part of your life. How did you come to lose your vision? So I was born in 1952 with congenital glaucoma. Oh. And back then, they didn't know what could happen in kids because it's usually associated with being an older person's eye problem, which is why they check older people's eye pressure when they reach 40. Right. You don't seem very old yourself, so you must have had some sort of juvenile glaucoma oh are, are you saying oh are you do you mean that i don't seem so um well actually i'm 31 which so, is not over 40 right so i was okay so i was born in 91 of course and i have peter's anomaly syndrome so i had the glaucoma um when of course when i was born you know cataracts and things like that and then also it affected my heart too so I also have those two things, the glaucoma and the congenital heart defect. So right. it was pretty apparent when you were born that you had those issues, I suppose. Considering when I came out that my corneas were white. Got it. So See, my, my issue was, first of all, it wasn't well known that infants could have glaucoma. And second of all, it's kind of a silent um, 
killer of eyes. You know, no one knew I had glaucoma. It took the better part of a year to figure that out. Of My course. symptom was we were living in Texas at the time. My dad was in the army at Fort Bliss there. And my mother would take me out into the sun and I would squint and start crying. And after a couple of months of that, she would take me to the doctor and say, you know, I think there's something wrong with my kid. And mm -hmm. he'd say, well, I think you just have a colicky kid. You know, if he cries, he just cries and, you know, soothe him. But, you know, light sensitivity is one of the signs of glaucoma. So she just learned to put a big sombrero on me and avoid the sun. But after a while, someone finally figured out what was going on. And, you know, that's very understandable because medicine has grown tremendously throughout my life of 30 years. So to be born in the 1950s, medicine, I mean, nothing personal, but medicine, ophthalmology was was primitive in the 1950s as to how much more advanced it is today. So it's completely understandable that they didn't really understand it nearly as well in the 50s. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. But yeah. even by the mid-1980s when our children were born, because Pete's condition is hereditary. Right. We took them to the local glaucoma specialist and we said, check them out. Yeah. And they're both fine. But oh, they good. were checked at a couple of weeks old. So with... Um, that's, re that's really, really interesting. And then how, I mean, if you were born in the fifties, you were in university in, in the seventies, uh, roughly upper sixties to seventies. So if you don't mind me asking, you know, uh, how was it, you know, what, what are some things that you can tell me that really stood out to you about going to university and needing to be a successful blind person in that time period, going through university and still getting your PhD? What can you tell me about that? Well, so I almost consider myself fortunate that I was blind since I was a child. Until I went to graduate school, I could hold a book several inches from my nose and read it. I didn't use a cane, although I probably should have when I was crossing streets in particular and mm -hmm. at night. So I had a good sense of the world. And because I was blind since birth, I was plugged into all the services and adaptive aids, plus being kind of a geek. I like technology. And as you know, the technology's got better and better for blind people to deal with the world around them these days. So by the time I got to graduate school, I was well aware of recording for the blind, which is now Learning Ally. And I had all of my books taped, my quantum mechanics books, my mathematical physics books, and they recorded those books for me. And fortunately, by the time I got to graduate school, my eyesight cleared up and they were just starting to make those uh, CCTVs, closed circuit mm -hmm. TVs that blew up print really big, like, you know, maybe four inches high uh, with lots of contrast. So I was able to do my work that way. Well, really and good. to backtrack from that, when you were in high school and college, you basically used a small telescope to see the board, but, you know, for everything else, you just kind of got your head really close to it. And before that, you went to a school for the blind. Yeah, I went to a school for the blind until I was in uh, fifth grade, I guess. So I knew some Braille skills, although I hadn't used them in a long time, but I could fall back on those for taking short notes and dealing with things. I learned to use a cane. I, I went blind doing an operation just before I started graduate school, the summer before graduate school. And that's when I 
reacquainted myself with my braille skills. I learned to use a cane. I said, look, I'm going to graduate school just because I lost my vision. There are ways of doing this. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's really interesting that you remember holding books closer to your face. In my case, I do not have enough vision for that. And I was always a Braille reader and was never was, you know, it was never for me by the time that I was going through school, it was never appropriate really to hold a book up to your face. If you're blind, you use Braille and things. And then as technology changed, we're into more of a digital audio age now. But yeah, a lot of blind people uh, that I talk to still use their usable vision in some ways at certain times. I think it can be good, but it also depends on exactly what you're using your vision for and things. Well, so, well you know, I learned that mm -hmm. when I was learning my cane lessons. I had I was starting to develop some light sensitivity and maybe a little bit of vision. I could see the contrast between the sidewalk and the grass. And when I was learning my cane lessons, I figured, oh, I ought to blindfold myself. You know, I'm blind. Right. I'm, of I use course. a cane. And their point was, you know, you use all the tools and resources around you. If you can see a little bit, learn to use that. It, you know, it's an extra help. And I take that view with kind of everything I do. I try to make myself aware of a variety of tools. And depending on the task I'm doing, I may use this tool or that tool. And at least you have a choice of what is going to be the appropriate tool or maybe some combination of tools. Right. Absolutely. The more tools you know about, the better you're able to deal with some kind of task or problem, I think. Oh, sure. Sure, sure, sure. Um, and then what can you tell me about your experience, you know, going through your PhD and then after your PhD when you started to work, as you said, for Xerox? What can you tell me about some of those fascinating experiences? Well, it's interesting. When I started graduate school, I told you I prepared the summer before to have recording for the blind, make my quantum mechanics books and mathematical physics books, etc. But they weren't always coming in on time. And so I didn't have the books the first few months of graduate school. But you know, all my graduate colleagues were very willing to read into tape cassettes, and they read books to me. And, you know, it was very kind of them. And you know, they, they all wanted to do it. They all wanted to volunteer. They learned how hard it was to read mathematics. It's not like reading prose. You have to be very careful with the parentheses and what expression is over what expression, et cetera. It's, it's difficult. They also learned that your throat gets very dry after reading for a half an hour. <laughs> it does. So it everybody was does. really supportive in, in graduate school. I, you know, it was, it was a very good place. And then when I was looking for a job, you know, I, I really didn't think of myself as blind because I was doing all the things a graduate school student does. I was doing the research and, you know, managed to do the kinds of things I needed to do, the computer work and all. So I really didn't think of myself as blind. I sent out resumes. I didn't mention that I was blind at all. And so right. people started calling up for interviews. And I remember with my interview at Xerox, they said, okay, you know, so you know, make a ticket on a, get a ticket for a flight to Rochester, New York, and, you know, let us know when you're coming in and we'll pick you up at the airport. And I said, good. You look for me. I'm the guy with the white cane. They said, white cane. And I said, yeah, I'm blind. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and after I hired at Xerox, I asked them, I said, didn't you 
have any reticence about hiring a blind person? Because obviously I spent the day there interviewing, talking to people and going through the facility. And they said, I thought my boy, my, I thought my voice, I thought my manager, my hiring manager was very open-minded at the time. He said, you know, I knew you were blind, of course, you're using a cane, you couldn't see anything. He says, but I figured if you got your PhD being blind, that wasn't an issue. And they were just interested in my technical. <clears throat> Precisely. I think, and I hope, and I, I really want to stress that I want listeners to listen to that basically last couple of sentences you said, because this is a huge problem for my generation is that blind people are not using their blindness as an asset. And that's what you did. You used your blindness as an asset to prove why Xerox needed to hire you, basically. Or, and also in, in a similar sense, you used your blindness so that Xerox would hire you regardless of your blindness. We have a serious, serious problem now with a lot of blind people are not getting hired just because they're blind. And that in, and I'm only giving out my opinion and I hope to make it an interesting conversation, you'll disagree with me a little, but I think as technology has increased, one of the downsides is that sometimes it can be easier for some, for some companies to overlook blind people and to just simply throw out a resume just because it's easier. And we have technology to kind of decline certain things very quickly now if we don't like people. But what's your philosophy about that? And also, what's your philosophy about disclosing disability and blindness in a workplace setting? Because a lot of blind people my age are asking these types of questions in the various groups that I'm in. What do you think? So I'd just like to start by saying sure. we agree with everything you just said. One of the things we do on Eyes on Success is we interview blind people with meaningful careers. And it is astonishing how much trouble even skilled blind people have getting hired. And I think the real problem is that the hiring managers just don't get it. They're not willing to take a chance. You know, people who graduated near the top of their law school class and they're doing fine now, but they're working for um, blindness organizations, which is a meaningful career, but that's they couldn't get hired by any other law firm. I agree with you. I think. My opinion, because it's an opinion show, to, to, to a greater extent, well, it says so on the title of the episode, but um, I think, I actually think that that's a big problem, that blind people oftentimes are drawn to work for blindness organizations, because I think it would give, not, not you, Nancy, in particular, but I think it would give most sighted people the idea that blind people cannot work with sighted people. If sighted people see blind people always working for blindness organizations, I think that is a reflection on what's really going on. What's your what's your theory about that? Well, and that's partially, as Nancy says, the reason we do our show. This is kind of our way of giving back. We like to interview lots of blind professionals with interesting careers, be it in oceanography or astronomy mm -hmm. and just working for ordinary companies. And I think people need to know the example. First of all, the blind people need to know the example that, hey, I don't have to be selling pencils. I can have a real job wherever I want a job if I just get the skills required for the job. 
and put myself out there. And then also to cited employers, they have to see that, <clears throat> hey, here are successful blind people that are making real contributions to commercial establishments. So it works both ways. You need the success stories to get out there for people to realize what's going on and that things can work. Right. So right. I know creating a weekly podcast is an awful lot of work, but do you have a regular job in addition to the I, podcast? I, I, I do. And I, I love I love I love it when guests on my show start to take over and interview me. That's so touching. That's I just I just get a huge kick out of that. Thank you. Yeah, I'm a teacher. I work online. Um, I tell people that I work for company X. It's probably some company out in Silicon Valley and I teach English as a second language. <laughs> So I speak all day and I'll tell you kind of a, a cute story. I was born in the early 90s. So when I was a little boy going mostly back and forth to hospitals on many different occasions, my mother or father would be listening to talk radio of the 90s, various great variety of hosts. Um, one of them uh, passed away last year, but very, very famous hosts uh, in uh, specific you know, media circles, you know, you know, what have you. And anyway, from the age of about two, I was constantly listening to things, listening to conversations, listening to content. And that's what I've done my whole life. I've always been someone who loves to educate people. And I just love to talk. I just love to talk and talk and talk and talk. And then I started my teaching job. And all I do all day is a job that I love, talk and talk and talk and talk. And I was doing a lot of teaching and in between, I was listening to a variety of podcasts around the blindness community. I was not aware of seven years ago, I was not aware of your podcast at that moment, but I was listening to other podcasts. And I really felt, Nancy and Pete, that a lot of these other podcasts around the community were really not open to guests and open to opinions and open to conversations. And I disagreed with that. So I figured out that since I can't stop talking and the more I talk, the happier I get, why don't I go to all of these Facebook groups for blind people? And each time a blind person asks a question that annoys everybody else, I'll just write, a, write an audio memo back to the person answering their question. I kept on doing it and doing it and doing it until it occurred to me that that's a podcast. I'm answering a question and the person who posts the question is the audience. And then I just kept on doing it until accidentally I ended up with an opinion, Aaron's opinion. So that's that's my that's my that's my job outside of podcasting. Yes, mm -hmm. that is a fun story. So is that through some sort of corporate um, entity or is a, a school system or what? Um, it's uh, Company X, as I call it, uh, privately speaking. Yeah, Company X would be would be a corporate, like it, it would be a corporate company. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you teach their staff English. So if I that's teach not their, their first language. I teach their students. So it's a platform that they that students from all over the world would come to, and they have a similar conversation, a Zoom ish, Skype ish conversation, um, and then the student buys minutes. The company pays me based on how long I talk, and I've been doing that for seven years. Yeah, so that's how cool. it works. Most of my students are from Turkey, um, Asia, Middle East, Saudi Arabia, and um, I speak French too. I'm also a French speaker, so it's uh, I have a tremendous interest in communication and using language to educate people. So it's pretty powerful. Well, it sounds like you're doing something you really enjoy. I, I, I always I, like I to tremendously, see people doing a job they like. 
I, I appreciate you saying it, Pete. I really, I really want you to know two things. Yes, I, I love being a teacher. I just adore teaching. It's just, that's what makes me happy. And that's good for me. But I also want to stress, I also want to emphasize to both of you and to the audience that as I'm seeing more and more of these posts around the blindness community, I'm getting more and more concerned about the younger generations of blind people that are not finding careers that they like or at all. And, you know, everybody in my family is very long living, especially most of most people in my family live into their upper 90s. So I'm going to be around for a while. I'm, I'm worried about these future generations of blind people that are really, in many cases, being taken advantage of by other people and are not being given the same opportunities that I was to be a teacher or a content creator. Not everybody needs to teach and create YouTube videos, but I, I don't know. I, I'm sure that you understand what, what my concern is, but over your career, what have you found or what what is your idea on what really needs to change in the blindness community, I guess? What do you guys think? Well, that's interesting. Uh, you know, I think certainly blind people do have to work a little bit harder to find the employment they like. Mm -hmm. Things are certainly not quite as easy for them because we have to overcome some stereotypes that other people have. And also certain jobs aren't open to us. For example, you know, even with a PhD, I can't drive a truck. I couldn't do the simple job of packing supermarket, supermarket shelves or doing some of those checkout things that checkout people do. So some of those lower level jobs, I think, are very hard to get. You know, you need some eyesight to do that. But as Nancy points out, you know, often if you have some kind of expertise, particularly a technical background, it's easier to get a job. You know, for example, I consider computers, there's no reason a blind person can't do anything on a computer a sighted person can do. We're at pretty much parity when you consider the access to computers that we have and anything that can be done with a computer a blind person can do. You know, the technology has really made that possible these days. There's no excuse. So, okay, we have to try a little harder to get the kind of backgrounds and experience we need to get these jobs. And maybe not everybody is capable of doing that. I mean, the reason I got my job at Xerox, as Nancy said, my PhD was in fluid mechanics. Xerox happened to be looking for physicists who knew something about fluid mechanics. And that's one thing they don't teach in most physics programs. My program did. And so I was a natural fit for the job. So I had the kind of expertise that fit into their desires, what they were looking for. And I think you have to look at what you want to do in life and have to get the training that's appropriate for the position that you're seeking. Absolutely. Both of you, by the way, I've noticed as a avid podcast consumer, never mind about a podcast creator myself, but as a consumer of podcasts, I've always appreciated uh, the beautiful way that both of you speak. Both of you are so pleasant to listen to and have such a great, you guys are such a great listen. I have to ask, did Thank either you. one of you, did either one of you take like classes in like public speaking or anything like that? Because both of you are so clear and have such a beautiful way of talking. Where, where did you learn how to talk like that? 
practice, practice, practice. We, that's what I tell we've people. We've been doing this. But that's podcast. what I tell people too. I tell people keep practicing. I thought you would give me a better answer than practice. I thought you'd have more magic than pra- more of a magical equation than practice, practice. <laughs> well, you know, we started doing this podcast almost twelve years ago, and the and why first... why did you start? So let's get into the history of eyes on success. Why don't you break it all down? Really break down the equation of eyes on success. What do you well, think? Well, let me answer your sure. last question first. Um, you know, when we first started, we were just being aired over our local radio reading service, and there might have been a couple of hundred people listening. So the first six months or a year was basically practice. You know, we we knew there weren't that many people listening, but what the heck, somebody was listening, so we kept doing it. And the other thing is we heavily edit our audio, and we figured out that it was a lot easier if you just said it right the first time and you didn't have to edit out the bloopers. So we've kind of trained ourselves into speaking the way we do. And then I think also we listen to examples. I mean, we're avid listeners of NPR, National Public Radio, and we listen to the Diane Reams show. Wow, she's a great interviewer. How does she do that? What makes her special? When you listen to the news announcers on NPR, they sound great. What makes them special? And, you know, what could they have done better? Or when they screw up, why did they screw up? And so, you, you know, you kind of pick your role models and you kind of model yourself after that. Also, being in corporate research for a long time, you know, we were used to giving presentations. And when you had a career giving presentations, you learn how to give a good presentation, how to talk in a logically straight line, how to answer what you think people's questions are going to be before they ask them. And, you know, so we've had some experience there. But it does take time. It took us a while to definitely find our voices on the podcast. Definitely. It's taken me three years to get to this point. Yes. It takes you. And that's another huge problem now with, I think that there would be more blind people getting into YouTube or podcasting, but they just feel so, so, um, so insubstantial, you know, they just feel like, like the people at the top of the system are going to totally drown them out, you know? So I think a lot more people would be involved in this, but they don't feel they have a voice and that's a that's a huge problem definitely yeah well and i i think a lot of people blind or sighted are intimidated by the technology i mean we've had to learn quite a bit in order to make our podcast what it is right also i think people are intimidated in what seem to be big problems right like learning a new instrument you don't Mm -hmm. all of a sudden learn the piano and start playing Beethoven sonatas. You know, first you learn the notes, then you learn the scales, you learn how to hold your fingers. It's a long process. The same with the podcast, you know, you jump in, yeah, you can sit in front of a microphone, but maybe it takes a few years to figure out how to do it right. And it just takes time. And I think people, uh, they get kind of antsy, you know, they kind of lose their patience. They want to be a success right away. It takes time to- then they'll never be a success. Get an the, sad, the, saddest, the saddest thing of all is that that's what people don't really understand about being successful is if you want to be successful, it's really slow. It's right. the, 
as a comedian once said, I don't know who said it, but I'll say it because it's it's both funny and true. I have a I have a get rich slow scheme for you, yes. <laughs> which is which is what life is. Life is just a get rich slow scre- slow scheme. It really is. There's right. no fast anything. Everything is super slow. Right. You know. And getting a PhD is much like that. A lot of getting a PhD is patience. You're working on a problem that isn't going to be solved in, overnight or in a week or even a year. You're working on a problem that's going to take a long time to learn about, to study, to go down the wrong path a few times. And after three or four years of doing research, you finally come up with an answer that you can publish and get your degree from. So you'll, you know, you learn patience just going for a PhD. Well, and in addition to patience, persistence, because it does take several years. Yes. Absolutely. You mentioned the importance of being an active problem solver, and I think that's a great life skill and just a great skill. So if you can pick, you know, Pete, if you can pick only one problem that you would want to solve for society using all of your knowledge in fluid mechanics, what is a specific problem that you still want to tackle uh, today, and how would it change the lives of all people for the better? In fluid mechanics? Or in other words... In other words, how, you know, if you can pick a problem that you're seeing right now in society, obviously you spend, I can tell, it's clear to me that you're the type of person that spends a lot of time getting, gathering knowledge, reading things, listening to things, getting more knowledgeable about about everything. Surely you see a lot of problems around the universe and world. If you can pick one problem to solve, you know, the one problem that you said, I'm glad I solved that for people. What problem in the world do you want to solve? Well, I had fun making better printers for people. <laughs> you know, it may not be solving world world hunger or the environmental crisis that we're facing these days, but you know, my attitude is some big problems they just take a long time and they're many faceted. And so you chip away at it where you can and where you enjoy chipping away at it. You know, the reason I became a physicist was because I wanted to do good things for the world. We have all this technology and I figured, you know, we can apply that even in little ways to make people's lives better. And a lot of little things add up to a big thing. You know, I can't solve the environmental crisis overnight, but I can make a better printer for people if that makes their life easier. You know, making a printer better, you know, that really makes democracy better. Arguably, the most important invention of the last thousand years was, of course, the printing press. So you saying that you you made printers better. Well, basically, you made democracy better when you actually think <laughs> about it. Yeah, definitely. We're, um, we're honored to have you phrase it like that. <laughs> well, how, well, thank you. How would how would how would you honor yourselves in phrasing it? <laughs> <laughs> Well, but as I say, I think a yeah. lot of little things add up. I spend, now that I'm retired, mm-hmm. I spend a lot of time these days writing scripts, JAWS scripts for programs to make them more accessible to other blind mm. people. And I give them away. We do the podcast as a way of making people's lives better or opening their eyes to opportunities. So there's a lot of little things like that. Again, it's not you know, solving any big crisis around the world. But hopefully it makes lives better bit by bit in one life at a time. Or as I say here on Aaron's Opinion, help one person today, help one million people tomorrow. 
It's about helping the next person. I did see that on your website, I think, yes. <laughs> it's about helping. It Really, if you can only get, you know, as I say, if you can only help one person, that's a huge help. Or if you can only improve a little bit, well, you might have just improved a lot, you know? Right. Yeah. What about What about teaching? A lot of people with your background, you know, get back into teaching after they retire. Do you do you ever lecture at the universities? Um, we've each been to many technical conferences and given many technical presentations. But for about 25 years while we were at Xerox, they had a program that we were very active in where they would give employees not only the time off during the day, but all the materials we needed to go into the elementary schools and teach science lessons because cool. Good. wonderful as elementary school teachers are, they didn't have the equipment and they didn't have the background. And we would go in year after year after year and motivate, you know, sometimes we do four different classes. That would be a hundred 10 year old kids. <laughs> science can be fun. And maybe they'd learn something tangible, but if all they picked up was science can be fun and, and they can use their creativity and their curiosity to try to solve problems, you know, some of those kids were going to grow up to get an education and hopefully a career in something meaningful to them. And it didn't escape us that we would walk in, you know, the science guys are here. And one of us was a woman, which is not what stereotypical scientists are. And the other one was blind. And at the end of the year, we would do what we irreverently called Pete's Blind Act. And, you know, it's like, okay, I did all this and I can't see what's your excuse. What are some of the most endearing? Do you remember? Because children uh, have no filter. Um of course, I, I, I barely have a filter either, but that's another story. Children don't really have a filter for some of the things they say. What, what, what were some fascinating or endearing or really just really hysterically funny things some of the children might have said to you, Pete, or you, Nancy? I'm sure you remember at least one kid or a Freddie or a, so, someone like that. I'm sure, you, I'm sure you've I, got to remember something like that. I have a favorite if you don't. Do you have a favorite? Oh, I have a favorite. It was the time we got the entire fourth grade together in the auditorium for Pete's Blind Act because the timing was tight and there were a hundred kids in the room. Right? Yeah, that was the one. And, and what happened? And some <laughs> and well, and after I showed them how I use a computer, I talked, and I taught them a little about Braille, how I read, how I tell time. And it was question time. And one kid raises his hand. He says, but Mr. Torpy, how do you know what you're wearing? And of course, the answer was supposed to be I put real labels on my shirts and ties. So, you know, I knew what colors things were. But I turned around to him and I said, hmm, well, you know. Well, then he asked, how do you know what I'm wearing? Right. And I said, well, you know. I can't really tell what you're wearing. I know what I'm wearing. For all I know, I said to the kid, you could be naked. <laughs> you could the, all the heads in the room. <laughs> and you could hear this kid turn red. I think he's still embarrassed. It would have to be 20 years ago. That's, as in, that's, you got, you got, do, do you guys know that I love to laugh like that? Do, do you guys know that you were trying to get me to laugh really hard like that? <laughs> we, we did not. Well, now, you know, that's that's that is like that's really 
That's a really beautiful answer. Like with the innuendo, with like the sexuality, with like, you know, that's not really <laughs> like that's not that's really cute because that's not really appropriate to say that to a 10 year old. Right, but it's right. a really good it's a really cogent response. It's a really good analogy to paint the absurdity of that child asking an absurd question of, well, you put your shirt on, you know, you're wearing a shirt, right? You know, it's kind of like that. You know, I mean, I get it as an adult, but a child wouldn't get the absurdity. That's a very complex, you know, complex sense of humor, you know. But, you know, uh, pretty yeah. much every group of kids that we did the blind act for, somebody in the room, when it came to questions and answers, would say, how do you brush your teeth? And every single time he'd say, you know, your homework for tonight, when you go to brush your teeth, close your eyes, see if you can get the toothbrush in your mouth, you know, and it's like some of this stuff, it's really pretty easy if you're, if you, even if you can't see, you know, there's other things that are maybe more challenging, but how do you tie your shoes? And they'd ask these questions and it's a great age because I think one issue I have with society is that the adults have all been socialized out of even admitting that they recognize that you have a disability. You're right. You know, you're right, Nancy. They, and they certainly don't ask questions about it. But these kids, we raised the topic. Pete described, this is how I do all of this stuff that you might find surprising that he's able to do. What other questions do you have? And and at age 10, they just asked whatever. They were very comfortable, which mm -hmm. is great. But, you know, another 10, 20 years, they won't be asking anything. Yeah, adults just won't do that. You know, I worked at Xerox for many years. People saw me in meetings, giving presentations, running meetings, doing all kinds of work. And... It wasn't until bring your child to work day where they take their children from office to office or lab to lab to, you know, see what a work is like that they'd come in and they'd see how I did my work in Braille and my talking computer. And they'd say, oh, is that how you do your work? But it would never occur to them to ask. Right, 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 right. That's 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 interesting. That's interesting. My, and uh, only slightly more socially acceptable was asking <laughs> the wife of the blind guy. I can't <laughs> tell you how many people would stop me in the hall. How does Pete do this? How does Pete do that? And then heaven help us when Xerox switched from DOS to Windows, his closest colleagues and the you know guys he had lunch with five days a week cornered me in the hall. They're like, now Pete's sunk. I'm like, look, I don't know how he's going to do it, but trust me, he'll find a way. He'll make it work. Right. Absolutely. You know, but they weren't going <clears> to <throat> ask him. Yeah, I get that a lot, too. You know, or if I'm with family and we're in public, you know, they would say, like, what does he want or or things or things like that. And, you know, as as as, as you can tell or maybe not, hopefully not tell is that actually when I'm not teaching and podcasting. I'm actually very unfriendly and, and quite antisocial. So I can understand where people would be kind of odd about that and being kind of resonant, I guess, in asking those types of questions. But I, I, I have to wonder, I have to be a little bit facetious and wonder. So what did that student's parents think when you said that you could be naked for all I know? What did their parents think of you saying that? 
Oh, the parents weren't there. Right, I know. I was just wondering, just being facetious and wondering if the parents ever found out that you said that to uh, their child. I would be really surprised if he brought it up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's that's true. That's true. Probably the kid was so embarrassed or so confused he didn't even he didn't even say anything more about it when he got home from school. Yeah. yeah the that's... rest of the class probably told the entire school bus. Right. But right. I I would be surprised if he brought it up at home. That would be an interesting story to reconnect with that kid and say, hey, well, now you're successful. I mean, imagine that could be like a successful person in life. And they would say, hey, do you remember when I said that to you? And the person would probably still remember. Probably they would, ironically. But so Eyes on Success, you've been podcasting for a while. What would you say you would like your impact to be? Or really, how would you describe the flavor, the listening experience of Eyes on Success to someone who doesn't know what it is? Well, we usually start by saying that we talk about product services and daily living stories. For what does that even people. mean? Like to me, okay, in all honesty, to me, product services and like that as a blind person, that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean much to me. Not that it's I'm not saying it's meaningless. I'm just saying to me that doesn't hold much to me. So what does that mean? Product services and daily, what do you mean? Well, I was going to go on to say really kind of the mission of the show is captured by the name Eyes on Success. So every show is a success story in some sense. If we're talking about the latest features of some piece of access technology, that's a tool you can use to be successful. Or we'll talk to people who have hobbies or sports or careers they're involved in that they've been able to succeed at. And so, you know, we talk to a blind golfer. If you think you can't play golf just because you can't see, listen to that show and and you'll find out how he did it. And maybe you'll be motivated to try it yourself. And that goes for anything from knitting to astrophysics. Um, so we just... You know, we try to convey a positive message. We try to say, hey, you know, if, if you have something you want to do, there's probably a way you can make it happen. So we try right. to talk about a variety of tools and technologies that can be <clears> helpful <throat> and then also give examples of people who have used those tools and different ways of doing things to become successful and lead rewarding lives. Can you think of an episode where both of you really learned a tremendous amount, or I'm sure you learn on every episode, but are there any episodes where you say like you really left your studio, left the recording thinking, wow, I really got a lot out of that. What was an example of a wow episode for both of you? You know, I think this was actually two episodes, but one of the most fun episodes we did was when we managed to get Jim Fruchterman, Dean Blasey, and Ted Henter together. And they're, you know, real pioneers in the field of access technology. And when we got the three of them together talking about what was it like developing the tools that they developed, that was just so cool. So for people who may not know them, Dean Blasey was the person who led the company Blasey Engineering that developed one of the first refreshable portable braille displays. Fruchtemann developed OpenBook, which is a uh, 
system for doing OCR on books way back in the 80s. And Ted Henter was the person who started the JAWS screen reader program. And these guys all kind of collected together when Freedom Scientific bought the three of their companies. And it was kind of fun. They hadn't seen each other in years. We got them all together on our show just to reminisce and talk about what they were doing since retirement and how fun it was working with each other and developing those technologies to help blind people around the world. Right, right. So that is super interesting. And then um, I noticed that you guys now are on YouTube. What made you want to get into YouTube and put your podcast up there on YouTube? Seems Thank like you for asking. Yeah. You you might wonder why we converted an audio-only program into a video medium. And the reason is that an awful lot of people with vision loss, it's age-related. And they also have hearing problems. And on YouTube, it's very easy to create closed captioning. And it's whatever size print you want, whatever contrast... And so for somebody who's got enough vision to be able to read the closed captions, but bad enough hearing that they need it, YouTube is the mechanism mm. for doing that. And that's why we put it on YouTube every week. I agree. I agree. I just think so many people now consume content both on YouTube and on podcasts <laughs> that you really have to be on both. But um, but it's, it's really good. I find that YouTube, though, is typically a larger audience in, in my case, one location, usually. And the podcasting audio is more smaller audiences spread out all over the globe, is what I'm finding. But what have you guys found about your listener base and viewer base? We know nothing about who watches or listens on YouTube, but we have at times um, tracked the people who download the podcast. And when we got up to a hundred different countries, we stopped keeping track. Well, that's so good. they're all over the place. And we try to make the podcast available in the variety of ways that people might want to listen to it. So we have it available as a podcast for people who are into podcasts. We give it to a number of radio reading services for people who just like to have those devices in their houses and aren't so tech savvy. We make it available on the Amazon and Google uh, apps or you know so you can say hey Alexa play the eyes on success podcast or hey Google play the eyes on success podcast and then we also have all of our episodes archived which is now over 600 on our website and I coded up a little search feature so if you're looking for a show on any topic or someone's name you can enter that into the search field and find the shows that match that and get links to the audio and show notes associated with that episode. So we try to make it available in the variety of ways that people might want to listen to it. It's really good. Really, really well done. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> Our Google device just answered saying that she was found all the Eyes on Success podcast. Excuse me. Hey, Google, stop. There you go. Got to watch what you say around here. Hold on. Wait a minute. I've, I've got to do this to you. Wait a minute. Hey, Alexa. <laughs> will, it, will it work? Yeah. Say, tell her to play the Eyes on Success podcast. 
Play the Eyes on Success podcast. Well, you have to say her name. You, you, you took too long between her name. And- I guess. I guess. But yeah, that is that is really, that is very, very interesting. And it's very easy to get those devices to easily. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then you can say, play the previous podcast or the next podcast, skip ahead mm-hmm. two minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, I just wonder, even from my own stuff or any podcast, I wonder, do most people just listen to us through their Alexis? Uh, or or what, what what do you suppose? I mean, even coming from your background, what would you guesstimate to be the go-to medium for consumption? Uh, so we've the- looked at um, the Echo and Google device things. I don't think a lot of people use that yet. And our YouTube venture is a little bit too new to get a lot of visits on that. So I think a lot of our download, a lot of our listeners come from downloading the podcast or downloading it directly from the website. The one that's very difficult to tell is all the radio reading services that broadcast it over their radio devices right, and over the internet, because they don't keep statistics. They don't do the Nielsen ratings for them. So they, you know, they'll tell you, Oh, we have 4,000 listeners, but they never know how many are listening or 20,000 listeners like the Massachusetts station. Right but they never know how many are listening. And if they knew how many are listening, they don't know how many listen to your show. So it's hard to say. Well, well and the yeah, same with the is. streaming services. Mm-hmm. They don't know who's listening either. Right. But we were honored when they made Eyes on Success a favorite on the Victor Reader stream. I agree. That's, that's really, yeah. it's always really, you know, touching to me when someone comes to me and they say, Aaron, you know, I heard an episode of Aaron's opinion, and even when they say something simple, even the most touching thing that people say is, I, I listened to an episode, and I really liked it. Like, even saying, even telling me that they just like what I'm doing, that means so much. You know, that's that's such a positive thing to say. Absolutely. You know? It's that feedback that keeps us going. Even, you know, if, if one oh, listener go- says, I got a job, or I enjoy yeah. your show, like you said, you know, that's great. That's great feedback. And I would love to know. Yes, go ahead, Nancy. The, the other thing that's been very gratifying is being able to make connections. Mm-hmm. So if so, some young person contacted us, I'm thinking of becoming a psychologist. Do you have any input for me? Well, we know nothing about being a psychologist, but we've interviewed a couple of psychologists. And we <clears> asked <throat> the psychologist in question, could we give their contact information to the young person and the two of them got together and that was terrific but to take that to a whole nother level some young woman in malaysia wanted to be a pharmacist and she was getting a lot of pushback from her government you can't even sit for the exams you can't see you know what what can you tell me well we knew nothing but we found some practicing pharmacist in wisconsin we interviewed him. We Who's got blind. his contact information. Right. He was blind. We got his contact information. We did the whole show. And P.S., after in, listening to the show and interacting directly with him, she was able, she was a real go-getter. She's still blind, but she was able to convince her government that um, she should be able to take the exams and get licensed as a pharmacist. And that's really gratifying, you know? When you can put somebody who has the answer together with somebody else who has a question. It really is. It really, really is. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. That's 
extremely inspirational. And some of these, I find that many blind people that listen there in opinion are living in Asia and Africa. And I've interviewed a lot of people from those continents and life is, life is hard for blind people there, but quite frankly, life is hard for everyone in those countries. Right. It's, it's not really Malaysia in particular. I'm not at all surprised. That is a very, I've spoken to people. I don't know if, I don't think I've spoken to anyone in particular on the podcast from Malaysia, but I know of people from there and they tell me it's a very corrupt country, a very, just not, not an easy life in Malaysia for, for anyone really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And you think of being in the U.S. <clears throat> first of all, you know, the, the economic lifestyle here, you know, people have a little bit more money and resources a lot there's more. a lot of support from a lot the government. more yeah right and a lot of a lot of these other countries don't even have the governmental support or the laws in place to not discriminate against blind people that's true but then we still in my opinion we still have a profound issue with discrimination with the laws we have in america so i'm i'm not sure that it's a country thing i think i think the discrimination is a people be is a behavioral thing from people People can tell the difference between things, so they can discriminate to, right. to some to some stretch of the imagination. Yes, right. it's, people need to be more open-minded. Yes, it's worse in Malaysia, obviously, but people discriminate in every country. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, even even in Canada, I've been getting a lot of complaints from Canada about all the struggles there. Goodness, that, that oh God. <laughs> Have, if you guys ever interview anyone from Canada, be warned because they are not going to say anything nice about Canada and being blind in Canada. There's nothing nice about it. There's, they have some problems in that country, huge ones. Yeah, we've actually interviewed several people from Canada, and I don't remember any of them whining. Yeah. Well, good. <laughs> well, well, good. Well, so I, apparently, I send the whiners to Aaron's opinion, and the people that don't complain get eyes on success. I guess there you <laughs> go. <laughs> I I have to probe, and obviously you you do not need to name drop on there if you don't want. But who who like who are those people you interviewed in Canada? Just out of curiosity. Um, we're gonna forget most yeah. of their oh, names. Okay. Oh, but right. most recently we interviewed a guy who's got a day job in IT at CNIB, but in the evenings he's a stand-up comedian. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, um, I listen. Oh, I watched that on YouTube. Yeah, that yeah, that was a really that was wonderful. That was a fascinating conversation. And I love comedy. I love as you can tell, I love being really serious and blunt and then telling really funny stories and jokes. I love that type of thing. Yeah. That was a good one. Yeah, that was really but, you know, we interviewed a guy who by day is a social worker on the West Coast and on the weekends he's playing ice hockey. Right. Right. So, you know, he was happy. I see. I see. That's all really good. We just have a few minutes left on the hour. As I say, with every episode, the hours beautifully fly by. Both of you have a uh, goodness that hour flew by with with two people in a three way conversation. That was even better. That was incredible. Both of you um, have done an incredible interview, as I knew you would. But I'm sure that each of you wants to ask me one question to really make me sweat to see if I'm worth my salt as a podcaster. I'll go with the sighted person. Nancy, go ahead. Oh my gosh. <laughs> wow. Really make me sweat. Um, I hate long gaps. Well, you're the one that's putting them in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Pete, go ahead. 
So what is your biggest reward from doing your podcast? The biggest reward from doing my podcast is that I know that with every episode, I'm helping one more person each time. I'm helping somebody, hopefully helping a blind person to just have a little bit of a better day. And, and that's a huge reward for me, knowing that in my heart, I know that when I'm talking to you, I'm doing the right thing, philosophically, spiritually, you know, karma-wise. I know that this is, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is the right thing to do. So the reward is it's the right thing to do. Okay, so I came up with a question you're not going to like. Good. What's Go your for, big? Oh, lay it, lay it on me. I can take anything. What's your biggest challenge doing the podcast? My biggest challenge doing the podcast is basically finding finding people who are amazing people like you guys who truly appreciate the value of podcasting. You know, there's so many guests, and you guys get them too. I'm sure, and, and don't 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 lie. Don't tell me you don't get these people. These people that say I want to be a guest on your podcast, or no, really, I really do, I really do. And then the day comes up, and they say, well. No, no, really, you don't understand. There's something wrong with my ingrown toenail. I can't come in today or those types of things or <laughs> I'm, I'm too scared or, or stuff like that. You know, that's actually the hardest thing about podcasting is learning how to talk to the public and learning how to have a conversation. It's really hard for me, actually. I've had to practice over seven years of teaching and then three years of podcasting. The hardest part is the art of conversation. Well, we cheat because there's two of us. So if one of us <clears throat> runs out of questions, the other one will find something to fill in. And, and that really, we've relied on that a lot. Well, and we also do a fair amount of research to the extent we can on people we interview before we interview them. We'll listen to, uh, you know, if they've had any presentations they've done on YouTube, read newspaper articles about them, sometimes read a book they've written. So we have a pretty idea we have a pretty good idea of where the interview is going ahead of time and what types of questions we'll ask, what topics we'll discuss. But, but, you know, you brought up something that we've run into many times, like setting this up with you was really easy. And <laughs> somebody suggested this date and this time and okay, we're all good. And sometimes it goes that fast and that easily, but sometimes usually not have, actually. Yeah. We have had guests on our show who we've had a work on for like, three years before yeah. we could get a date set up and that frankly gets annoying you know a month or two fine but years gets challenging yeah people don't realize <clears throat> the time that this, this takes it's not just the editing and doing the interview it's setting it up it's looking for people to interview answering questions when people say i want to be interviewed on your show and doing the research it, it just takes a lot of time setting up the website, setting up the podcast, setting up YouTube. It's very time consuming. Fortunately, yeah. we're retired. <laughs> yeah. Fortunately, I have a lot of teaching experience. And fortunately, I just love everything about doing this. Like just talking to you guys just makes me happier. So yeah. I just want to do it. But yep. yeah, podcasting would really suck if you hated it because it right. is a lot of, of energy to actually yeah. create yeah. content that you know, but this things. has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for contacting us. Yeah. Well, and thank if you. want to listen, well, they should go to www.eyesonsuccess.net. And we have our full searchable archive there if they want to listen to any of our over 600 shows. Fantastic. I was just about to say, I'll, I'll end it by saying, so if someone wants to get in touch with you guys personally, how would they do that? Well, the website is, as Pete said, www.eyesonsuccess.net. And you can always reach us both 
<clears throat> by sending an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. And if you go to our website, there is that information on how to send us a note. Also, you can sign up for our weekly announcement list where there's links to that week's show and the show notes and a summary of that show. And, and we're on Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and just search for Eyes on Success. And Alexa and Google. Very good. It's been an honor to speak to both of you. Keep up your great work. Keep podcasting. Don't stop. You guys are doing magnificent, magnificent work. You guys and both of you are forever part of Aaron's opinion. Don't worry, you didn't lose me that easily. You guys are forever, you guys are forever sucked into my into my vortex of knowledge and podcasting. You're forever welcome here. Keep up your great work. And as I say on Aaron's opinion, do you guys know how I end? I do not. Oh, that's totally fine. Thanks so much, everybody. Stay safe out there. Help one person today. Help one million people tomorrow. You've been listening to Time to Talk to the Torpies right here on Life Improvement Radio, on the Helium Radio Network, on the What's Your Excuse Network, on High Energy FM, on Intervision FM, and on 98.6, the Mix KKMX International, the best variety in the internet, on the internet, yeah. Well, Nancy and Pete Torpy, it has been such an honor to get to connect with you professionally on my podcast. Um, I really, really appreciate it. From the bottom of my heart, I just loved the conversation. It was so, it's so upbeat and so serious and so philosophical and so endearing and so unusual and so positive and charming. That's all the words I can say to explain how much I enjoyed having you part of Aaron's opinion. And now you're forever part of the Aaron's opinion family for sure. And by the way, I'll say it right here. I hope you understand that you are more than welcome to use this audio um, in today's episode on your show. Um, you can take a portion of it if you want and use it on your on your show, Eyes on Success. I'd be honored to hear my voice in the wild on Eyes on Success. And absolutely, I would be honored also to give you guys an interview um, you know, o- online, uh, remotely, obviously, uh, if you guys would ever like that. So, Hey, just let me know. Just, just drop me a line as, 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 uh, well, as your generation would say. Um, although I don't know what you would say. I don't know what fluid, uh, I don't know what fluid physicists, fluid physicists and engineers say for that. I'm sure you guys have an expression, but however, however, retired scientists get in touch with people, whatever, whatever it's called, Whatever technology they have to get in touch with people, <laughs> whatever te- whatever technology they have up there at Xerox, you let them know. You guys can you guys can Xerox me if you want to be you want me to be on my. <laughs> I, I I tell you, I come up with material that I'm impressed that I come up with it. Yeah, if you guys want me on your show, Xerox me. <laughs> I'm only coming. I'm only coming on eyes. I'm. I'm only going to be a guest on Eyes on Success. I'm only going to be interviewed on your show if you Xerox me. <laughs> All right then. 
<laughs> or of course, you guys could, of course, you guys at home, the Torpies, or anyone around the world, anyone around the universe or galaxy, could, of course, call or text 1240-681-9869. 1240-681-9869. At Aaron's Opinion on Instagram, at A A R O N S O P I N I O N on Instagram. You guys, um, Eyes on Success should set up an Instagram page too. It's very useful for promoting these these fun episodes um let's see aaron's opinion six at gmail.com a-a-r-o-n-s-o-p-i-n-i-o-n six at gmail.com follow on twitter facebook consider becoming a patron on the patreon page like the video on youtube subscribe and share it with a friend to make sure that the next person can learn from aaron's opinion and hear some interesting stuff okay all right well very good very very good then um, I just want to say again, thank you to Nancy and Pete Torpy. You're always welcome here. Thank you, of course, goes out to the Helium Radio Network for syndicating Aaron's opinion each Thursday, I believe. Uh, another thank you, of course, goes out to Maxwell Ivory of the What's Your Excuse Network. You've been very helpful. Couldn't do it without you. Thank you to Akil from High Energy FM, Trinidad and Tobago, a good place to be yourself. Thank you, as always, to, of course, Johnny J and Alan C from Intervision FM Denver, K-I-N-V-D-B. And, of course, thank you to Herbie Allen. I forgot his name last time. I remembered it this time. I don't say it much. Thank you to Herbie Allen from... 98.6 98.6 The Mix KKMX International, the best variety on the internet. Thank you to all guests, past, present, and future. If it wasn't for you, we wouldn't have Aaron's opinion. And of course, thank you to all of the guests who tune in from all over the world every day. I'm forever grateful for that. Certainly, once the, once the Torpies put um, some of this content on their channel, we'll definitely have even more wonderful listeners from all over the world. So that's really, really good. Um, and that's about all I have to say for this one. It's definitely been a great, you know, time to talk to the Torpies, as I said. It's been an incredible, an incredible hour with you today. I tremendously enjoyed the episode. Whether you're a retired scientist, a teacher, a podcaster... Or, I don't know. Whatever you're doing in life, though, keep podcasting out there. And thank you for listening to Aaron's Opinion, the podcast for blind people, where we definitely spoke about critical issues in the blindness community and all other issues from Xerox and all sorts of other great companies. All right, then. Well, we'll see you. Well, well, we'll be getting a message from Xerox soon. See you, everybody. And as I like to say, this is the Aaron's Opinion podcast. My name is Aaron Richmond. Stay safe out there, keep podcasting, and keep finding success in everything you do. All right, we'll see you same place, same time next week. Help one person today, help one million people tomorrow. Mm-hmm.